0: Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. City are kings of the Carabao, Willock makes Liverpool look like pillocks, Arteta edges closer to the sack and VAR seems to be getting worse. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined for this one by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So, if you're wondering what happened to us last week, we were all set to talk about the Premier League weekend, and then the the Super League stuff happened and, and got in the way, and it all felt a bit pointless, really. Uh, but the Super League is gone. We are back, and we've got loads to talk about today. So let's begin at Wembley, where Manchester City overcame Tottenham to lift a fourth consecutive Carabao Cup on Sunday. Kings of the Carabao—that's what it says here. Um, if City go on to win the Premier League and the Champions League this season, I'm not saying they will, but if they do, um, Joel, do you think they have the right to say that they have won the treble? And if if not why not?
1: No, no, I'm not having this because <laughs> right in in 2001 um, two, Liverpool won the FA Cup, uh, League Cup, um, and the UEFA Cup at the time, and we we classed that as a, as the treble. But uh, no one gave us that, and everyone you know t- you know, t- took the mick out of us, and um, we you knew that that was you know people called it the fake treble. So you are not having this. The, the League Cup doesn't count in the. Treble is <laughs> the real treble. Is the Champions League, the Premier League, and the FA Cup? They're the three most the pre- pre- prestigious ones, aren't they? And uh, if I can't have it when I pose next to the trophies at Anfield, then you can't have this. Oh, and right. the to carry down, but sorry, no.
0: <laughs> what do you reckon? What do you reckon, Martin? Do you agree with that?
2: Um Technically, by a dictionary definition, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I do. I do actually agree with Joe. It has to be. It has to be the original. Even though I would say that the League Cup. You know, it's been around for what was it fifty years now or something. It's got it's got quite a bit of tradition to it just not pres- as just
1: prestigious
0: city when every doesn't <laughs> I mean it's it's kind of taken about as serious as, as the FA Cup now that would be my only mm. argument really as to why it could be considered the treble but if it's a treble okay I mean we won the domestic treble a couple of years ago so maybe True. next maybe next year we'll win the treble and then we can say we've won the treble treble or something like that or do we need to win the UEFA Cup for that to count Joel I don't, I don't really know yeah you to know.
1: drop down yeah the Conference League now as well you need
0: to win that as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. But all right, let's say the, the, the Carabao Cup is the least prestigious of the four trophies on offer each season, but City have won it four years in a row now. I mean, that's a pretty impressive achievement, is it not, Matt?
2: Um, it is an impressive achievement, and it's funny because I can't recall the competition where you think, no matter who's playing or which draw you've got, it just always ends up with Man City. It's It's, <laughs> it's almost... It's almost like there's no real point whether you go out in the second round or you go out in the semi-finals or the final because you're just going to meet City along the way. I don't know how they stay so consistent, yet they don't in other competitions. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What do you put it down to, Joel, the Fat City have won this competition four years in a row? I mean, I I saw a few people um, on Twitter, Spurs fans and and fans of other clubs after the game on Sunday, kind of saying, like, the cups are pointless when a club like Man City, with all their money, all their resources are around, it just kind of, like, makes it kind of hopeless for everyone. Do Do you feel that way? Or is that unfair?
1: No, no, I I think every every team should try and win every trophy they can until it's impossible for them to do so. And I and I understand sometimes you know the the big clubs football not out weaker teams because they have a priority priorities and obviously the context of season um, dictates that. So that's you know understandable. But 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 no, I, I you know I'm always gutted when Liverpool get knocked out of any trophy, um, even if they are playing a second string team. And and the thing is, City are able to win it every year. I mean. It's very easy to throw out the 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 excuse about the money they have and the fact that you can put out two first elevens and not make much of a difference. But I think Guardiola takes it seriously every year because I remember like you know when he played Bristol City and and Burton Albion and okay, there's a little thing about City's easy draws. That, um, but no, when, when they played you know Beton-Albi and Albion and Bristol City in the past he still played the likes of Sale and the Brainer in, in, in some of those games and, and, and the, the big guns let's say so I think Guardiola's just got that mentality that just you know keeps him up at night and gets him up in the morning that he just you know wants to win everything that he think he can and I think that's what's driving towards every year and it, it's usually usually the finals in February isn't it so it's, it's one to win early on and, and then you, you can sort of take that on to the rest of the season but no it's hats off as a, as a good achievement for City and,
0: and, and fair play them. Yeah, that's that's what I sort of thought about the, the takes about it being hopeless for everyone else. I mean, City have only won the FA Cup once under Guardiola. They got knocked out of it at the semi-final stage last season. So it's not as if they're dominating all the Cups, is it? I, th- I think they kind of do well in the Carabao because um, they kind of put a bit of faith in it at the, early in the season and actually take it a bit seriously earlier in the season, whereas sort of Likes of Liverpool, especially, often don't bother, do they? And just play sort of youth team or reserve team earlier in the season. Whereas, I think if you uh, if you do take it seriously early on, then uh, the rewards are obvious. Four Carabaos in a row. Um, onto the onto the game itself on Sunday. Um, I'm Eric Laporte, scored the winning goal. Um, but a few people were a bit unhappy that he, he made two bookable challenges in the first half, but only got one yellow card. Um, can you understand the annoyance there, Joel?
1: In a way, yeah, because the, the challenges, you know. You know, the two challenges that he makes, the 2000 he makes, they are both yellow card offences. But, I, you know, I've heard this point made a couple of times and, and I thought on the day myself is that the, the second one doesn't happen if he gets booked for the first one. Yeah. You know, anyone who's played football will, will know that you, you just don't go into those type of challenges if you, you're not 100% sure you, you're going to get it and um, you're going to get the ball. Um, so he, he's he just, he's played the game a bit and he's, he's he knows that he probably should have got booked the first one. I think Tierney, the referee, <laughs> has to give me yellow. But I guess if it's early on, he gets away it because of that reason. But he knows that he can get away with it and then. And, and, and City agrees at doing those tactical fouls, whether you agree with that kind of thing or not. And So, 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 so yeah, I, I don't really understand the furore about it, to be honest. I, I mean, a lot of the focus on, on the game afterwards was uh, was about that. And I know even on the Sky Sports in England's coverage, as soon as um, the final whistle goes, they mentioned oh, the winner scored by someone who probably should be on the pitch. I, I think, I think, Dan, it's just a bit needless. Like, it, 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 a team's won a trophy, and you need to focus on that rather than the controversial moments. Get over it.
2: Uh, no, I wasn't really. I, I, I feel like he, first off, I actually disagree with the fact that you say the second one doesn't happen because then technically, no one who's on the yellow card would ever get a second yellow. Because you'd think, oh, they're not stupid enough to make that decision, but plenty of players are stupid enough to uh, quite, to quite get caught. It's There's less no likely, way, isn't, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, It's less it, it's less likely, but that's not to say that it wouldn't have happened. And then you know, you're saying, oh, Lucas could have you know led a counter attack if if either foul didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I wasn't particularly annoyed about it because I thought, in all honesty, talking about the bigger picture of the game, you know, uh, Laporta's header should have been. The icing on the top of the uh, on the cherry on the cake, you know, it should have been the fifth out of nine city goals. It should have been it should have been completely pointless and irrelevant. The fact that it happened to be the winner is is probably down to luck on Tottenham's part rather than than City sort of escaping and having to use a should have been off the field player to score. Mm. How do you I think- mean, if he wouldn't, someone else would have scored it. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think Spurs played then, Matt? I mean, I, I thought Harry Kane didn't look fully fit. I thought Son was pretty anonymous and the, and the subs that, that uh Mason made didn't really influence the game at all. In fact, why do you think he took Lucas Moore off? Because he seemed to be the one that was making that was causing all the damage, really.
2: Yeah, that that was an odd decision. I think I I, I pinned nothing on Mason um as for Hugo, kind of what he was doing. Um I just think he was trying to keep things as simple as possible. Uh you know, he took him off and Bale came on to the right wing because Lucas was playing on the right wing. It was a like-for-like like swap. He didn't want to mess around and take Gio off and put Lucas in the middle and Bale right. And, you know, he didn't want to mess with the tactics too much. It, it seems as though he, he was, you know, replacing like-for-like like and trying to keep things simple. But, yeah, I was, I was a bit disappointed because I thought Lucas definitely possessed the most threat. Um, but overall, Spurs just will at the races. There is talk about Kane not being fit. I actually happen to think he was fit. It just wasn't very good. Um Jean-Minsan had a terrible, terrible game. There's there's so many questions about Tottenham in the bigger picture, and I think mentality-wise, there are a few too many sounds harsh, losers in the squad. There's too many losers who don't have the ability to drag their team to victory come what may and I think the ones within the team who do have trophies have been dragged by other people at other clubs if, if you if you kind of get what I mean you know look at Sir Aurier's trophy cabinet is is enormous but he was not the the big dog at PSG <laughs> if you know what I mean um, you know, Hugo Lloris is a fantastic keeper, certainly was not dragging France to success at the World Cup. That was down to, you know, well, they're fantastic attacking players. Um, I think the, the the key men that you're looking for, like Son and Kane, are the ones who haven't done that. And I think when the rest of the team see Kane looking a bit slow, when they see that Son's not having the best game, they think, God, if they're not playing well, then, you know, we're hopeless and I think it's a real knock-on effect
0: yeah I thought that as well I thought it was I mean City are obviously better than Spurs anyway yeah of course it was was a team with experience of playing in finals of winning finals against a team who have basically no experience of that Um, exactly most of the you know even most of the players haven't haven't really won an awful lot as you said and uh, yeah the Kane one was weird it's interesting that you thought he might have been fully fit because he sort of looked like you know like latter-day Wayne Rooney at Man United when he was dropping Mm. into midfield because he just couldn't he just couldn't run up front anymore Kane kind of looked like that and some of the some of the final passes even I was getting a bit frustrated as a City fan Spurs' final balls like that Hoiberg Heu- one um,
2: do you know when there was like a bit of a break yeah, on yeah, yeah. and he just passed it out of play and it's like what are you doing <laughs> honestly if that's if that's any of our attackers or any other player in the team you use Reggion as the decoy you cut back inside and you shoot from about seven yards but it's that kind of I just think God, if there was anyone else in the team that selflessness there was just no need for an extra pass Just cut back in and pull the trigger. But yeah, again, that was, you know, overthinking it, nervousness, anxiety, not being in that position before. The City players look so comfortable with what they're doing. And, you know, if it takes until the 81st minute for you to score your goal, then it takes until the 81st minute. There was no panic, there was no nothing. And it was just. City had the game plan to win. They didn't have a game plan to, to, to just play. Yeah.
0: You said you're not pinning anything on Mason at the moment. Have you been impressed by what you've seen from him in his, uh, his very short coaching career so far? I mean, does he benefit from just simply not being Jose Mourinho at this point in time?
2: Uh, yeah, but he, he, I mean, it, it's just it's just a guy that knows the players. I mean, he's not putting he, he's not putting any of his own sort of um tactical you know now on the on the side he's as i say looks like he's trying to keep things very simple it's a very odd position that he was there under pochettino and so were quite a few of the players so they understand what was going on and when you look at his lineups and everything it's uh you know four two three one left right pivot number 10 striker it's very very simple basics nothing too complicated um and and yeah, you can't really, I, I can't really judge him for it. I just think it's funny that it, he just sort of seems to be there. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't really, there's nothing really sort of much else you can say. What I did find funny, though, was the fact that he beat, Spurs beat Southampton and may go on to win a few more games. I'd be furious. Ralph Hasenhutl spent hours on the training ground putting all these things into play. And then some 29-year-old bloke just stands there and watches, you know, his team win. Yeah. It, yeah. Would, have,
0: it would have been pretty funny if Spurs had won on Sunday. Mourinho would have yeah. had to watch them lift the trophy that he got them to the final of.
2: Imagine the work that Guardiola's put into coaching over the last, like, 13 years. Yeah. And Mason just sort of stands there and ousts him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of City, Joel, do you get the sense that they're, they're looking a little bit leggy heading into the final stretch of the season? And, and you know, the the... the The first trophy of the season is in the bag. The Premier League is pretty much done, but might that cost them against PSG in the Champions League this week?
1: There's a few caveats to this. I do think they're looking a lot less... Clinical and uh, a bit uh, right now, and probably a bit more of a throwback at the start of the season. I mean, in and around the box, you know, they're not as deadly as they were, you know, when they made that run in the winter. Um, but I think there could be a, a, a few things around this. I think they might be saving themselves a bit for that semi final and and possibly playing within themselves and, and, and knowing that they can still win games. And I think there's a bit of that, and I think they're saving all their energy for that. And um, and it wouldn't surprise me if, on, you know, on Wednesday when, when they play PSG, you, you see the real City again, the City that, you know, and that's not to say they're going to come out and, and be legging everyone everywhere and, and it being really pacey, because City haven't really played like that all season, but just looking a bit more assured and looking a bit more in tune. And that's not to say they are the last couple of weeks, but they're, they're just looking a lot less sure of themselves, possibly, and... Reeds talent at the moment is in the kind of form that Sally and Manny's in where they both just need a month off and probably shouldn't be playing football at the moment. But um I, no I don't think it's anything too much to worry about. I think but we'll we'll, we'll have to see whether this is working and if it it does work when it comes to Wednesday
0: when we play Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, I mean we keep sort of forgotten now that it's been such an extraordinary season with games coming thick and fast every three days and stuff that it was going to take its toll eventually wasn't it? Yeah, of course. uh, Yeah, let's see if they've got a a little left in the tank for the end of the season. Uh, Now Liverpool's top four hopes were dealt a massive blow and they could only draw 1-1 with Newcastle on Saturday. Uh, Matt, how did Liverpool only score one goal from 22 attempts here and who do you blame for their profligacy in front of? goal
2: oh I have no idea (laughs) especially that especially that Salah chance when he was running through you think surely buries this I I really I really don't know how to to kind of blame anyone but the front three because you you know I think Liverpool have been crying out for creative midfielder right someone in between Henderson and Fabinho and closer towards the front three Um, but having said that 22 attempts doesn't suggest that they're failing to create chances. It's just putting them away. My my one thought is, and Joel tell me, I could be way off the mark here, I, I get the feeling that Salah, Mane and Firmino are, are almost taking the responsibility and the pressure and the, the, the talk surrounding their form and their goal scoring a bit too personally. As in they feel the pressure on themselves, so Mane's not thinking i've got to help the team and the front three to a few goals here Mane's thinking i've got to score personally, I have to do it because I'm the one on the goal drought and Salah's thinking i've got to be the one here who scores the goals because I've done it before, and I feel like they're they're they've sort of they seem a bit disjointed and not quite instead of a, a together front three it seems to be three individuals who are each trying to correct their own poor form rather than collectively correct the team's poor form in front of goal. Maybe that's completely wrong, but that's kind of the way I see it. Go
0: Joel, do you agree with that?
1: I think we're on the head there, definitely. Um, I think, uh, well, the thing is with Salah, he's, he's still scored 20 goals in the league and he's, he's having a pretty yeah. good season. But even he, is, he's missed a chance that he shouldn't miss, to be honest. But I think they're all in there. And Sadio Mane has never looked like there's never been a player who's looked more just completely out of it and completely stressed by the situation. And um, he knows he should be doing better. And I think it's got to the stage where he, he probably needs to you know a, a while out of the team to sort of maybe even pick up fitness again. But I think the, the role. You know, I'm stressing out, and they're all acting individually at the moment. And uh, I, I maybe wouldn't say Firmino in that, but I'd, I'd say Salamani and, and Jota at the moment. team. Jota, who's had a, a very good first season for Liverpool, he the last couple of games he and he missed a good chance on Saturday. The last couple of games, he sort of. It's stressing a bit, and I think he's sort of come back into the team after injury, and thinking that I need to save Liverpool's season here. He's maybe taking on the responsibility a bit too much. And, and Liverpool's midfielders have never scored the goals, and and never really. They're not the the creative outlet of this team. That they're, they're there to sort of win the ball back, retain it, recycle it, and and then the the full-backs, the wing-backs, they're the ones who are going to create the chances. Um, But on Saturday, that was different because he played Thiago and Wijnaldum in the midfield and then the four of them ahead of him. And Thiago's there and and Thiago's doing his job absolutely fine. So I I think it is the, the front four, the attackers at the moment who are dragging this team down a bit and it's, it's wild to see that considering how well he's done in the past for Liverpool
0: mm, it was such a weird game I mean they, they created all those chances they were uh, you know they missed some good ones but they were unlucky with a few Dubravka made some decent saves um, Trent Alexander-Arnold had that volley that just went wide of the post but then they just kind of let the game drift didn't they and and, the, and let sort of invited pressure onto themselves in the final, final few minutes I mean we, we've spoken a lot about Liverpool's injury problems this season um, they weren't defended particularly well even before they lost Van Dijk and, and they've now scored 17 fewer goals than they had at this stage last season so there's kind of problems all over the pitch Um, Joel do you think Jurgen Klopp deserves a lot of the blame for their drop off has 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 he gone down in your estimations at all this season are you a bit sort of doubtful about him now at all No um,
1: he's not gone down in my estimations and there's there's no doubts on my end or or the majority of Liverpool fans uh, that they're not doubting Klopp in, in any way but you can't sit here and you know, it was a rating Jurgen Klopp's season, it's, it's definitely you know four or five out of ten. He's not had a great season. There are loads of you know things we Liverpool should mention in this. You know, injuries, um, you know, for one anyway, and and you know it's not been the easiest season for Liverpool. But the, the thing is, he's not had a great season. The players haven't had a great season, and he he's sort of making decisions that you know were a bit suspect and. He, he's been sort of sticking. He's very loyal to his players and club, and and you're wondering whether he's too loyal, and you know he's sticking with players who probably don't deserve to keep playing every week in the starting eleven. And um, no, I, I Liverpool more than anyone are in need of the season ending now. Um, and that's, that's not to say that the season suddenly ends, the fans will back Liverpool are back there. But I think it's gone beyond that now. I think Liverpool have got a lot of work to do in the summer um, or whenever they get a chance to do it, let's say, because of the Euros. And I, I think that maybe has to be a change in, in the system and a bit of change in personnel. How much you can do that because of the transfer window, I'm not quite sure. No team's got any money. But um, I, I think... You New know, Inclap, I, I I back him to do it. I back him as coaching staff to be able to sort of see the problems and and, and remedy them. But yeah, right now he's not had a great season at all.
0: Mm. What about uh, you know they get Van Dyke back, they get Gomez back, they sign uh, Ibrahim Cognate from uh, from Leipzig. Do you think there'll be a force again, or or do you think the problems are do run really a bit deeper than that?
1: We we've been I've <laughs> been hanging my hat on that becoming the case. Van Dyke and Gomez coming back, but we can't, the fans can't just assume that Van Dyke and Gomez will come back and, and be the exact same players they were before the injury, because the injuries they've sustained are you know serious. And it's, it, it's more cases than not that, you know, players who get ACL injuries come back and, and lost, you know, a yard a pace, if not more, and, and can't quite move as freely as they, as they used to. And that, that could be an issue. I, I, am confident that Van Dyke will be fine. I'm a bit concerned for Joe Gomez. Um, because he's had more than one of these types of injuries. But, no, I, I I, I wouldn't say there's a massive overhaul needed and there's loads of problems running inside the club, but it's more than just injuries now. Um, whether it's just become a bit stale with certain players and you, you might need two or three changes rather than, I don't I don't say you need five or six. Um, but, I, you know, there's a few tweaks need to be made. And I was, I was actually, funny enough, watching last night um the eighteen nineteen season where Liverpool were picked to the title by City on the last day. But the amount of goals Liverpool scored by crosses into the box from the wing backs, um, which I forget how many how much he did it and it's pretty much every goal. Um and you know Manny, Salah and Flamino scoring headers and, and they're not tall players at all. Um but they're just catching the ball at the right time and, and the strikers are making the movements at the right time. And I think we've been trying to do that in recent weeks and, and the balls are just getting of the way, very easy. And there's a chance that it might a new game plan. They've not quite picked that up yet. They've not quite um, tried to produce a new game plan. And I think that might be where you know, some change needs to be made in the summer.
0: Mm. Well, Callum Wilson thought he'd equalise for Newcastle an injury time of this mm. game only for the goal to be ruled out for handball. Uh, I think that's possibly one of the worst decisions of the season for me. <laughs> Would you agree with that, Matt?
2: Yeah, that was, that was a terrible one. But I mean, how many times do we sit here and talk about terrible decisions? Um, Like this. I don't get why they're not looking at it and seeing that his hand's in front of his body. Like if his arm's not there, it hits his stomach and moves forward anyway. (laughs) It's not like he was outside the what's it what do they call the outline of his body. They seem you know to have changed mean. the
0: handball rule about four times this season. I have no idea oh, what it is anymore. Yeah.
2: I can't keep up with it. It uh, was Although it was very, very harsh on Wilson, especially as it just rebounds back as well. He's not making a deliberate attempt to control it with his yeah. arm.
0: And he was arguably nudged into the ball from behind as well. So. Yeah. That kind of probably helped the fact that it hit his arm, yeah. So yeah, it was a mess, wasn't it? But Newcastle kept pressing, and it was Joe Willock who popped up to equalise again. Um, Joel, do you think he's becoming a bit of a super sub? And if you were Newcastle, would you be trying to sign him permanently in the summer? They asked him about this on Match of the Day, and he sort of said, "Oh, I don't want to be known as a super sub," which is a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Really, I don't really. I, I'd be quite happy with being a super sub if I was a player, actually.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd take you because I come, I come for ninety minutes. You know? Yeah, exactly. I've po- yeah. probably got a ten minute burst of me. So I'll take that. Yeah. Um, you no, know, he hates it, didn't he? But <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And the fees that are getting quoted this week, we know around twenty million. And if Newcastle can can foot that bill, I think they should. I think. Um, I think what he brings to that team is a bit different to the midfielders they have right now. And you know, the, you know, Newcastle are there to set up solid and and, and be disciplined and and try and spring counter attacks and they have midfielders who are very good at winning the ball back and hold their position. Um, but what Willick does, he's, he's very good at making that third man run and that late run into the box. Um, similar to, you know, Frank Lampard did in his heyday, you know, not comparing their talents at all, by the way. But, you know, Willick is very good at, you know, scoring goals and nicking goals. He's been doing it the last couple of weeks. And I, I think if Newcastle can do it, they should go all out. And you're saying for Willick, you know, for some reason I think Arsenal oh, oh, so missed that type of midfielder. Yeah, sure Actually, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bit weird that they, you know, they don't bring them back into the first team this summer. But Newcastle, if they get the chance to do. Actually, one hundred percent go for it.
0: Yeah, well, it looks almost certain like Newcastle are going to stay up. Now, Uh Matt, do you think Steve Bruce will still be there next season? And and could it be argued that he's actually earned a, a, another crack at the
2: whip in recent weeks? Uh, you you could argue that, but I always think. <laughs> It's maybe more of a mentality thing, like, do Newcastle just want to survive with a couple of late goals at the end of the season, or do they want to push on? And you talk about Willock there, who's a great player. If you're going to spend £20 million on Willock, and you're going to say, we're going to you know, build a, a, a more attacking team, not necessarily just complete defensive, but we're going to have a few special players in there, you need to put in a manager who's also able to deal with them and to bring the best out of them. And I'm just not quite sure that Steve Bruce, you know, why would you go through all that effort of of bringing in these top players if you're going to give them a sort of standard manager who's going to be happy with 38 points and surviving relegation each season? I think you need to, if you're backing yourself on the pitch, you need to, you know, back it with a serious manager off it. And I think Steve Bruce has kind of proven that he's not really you know, that guy. I mean, look, if you're Joe Willock and you have this conversation and they put up the money and Arsenal say you can to them, as as Newcastle United Football Club, do you say your career is in the hands of Steve Bruce? Join us. <laughs> <laughs> like, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or do they say, we've got this new coach coming in, you know, he plays good football, he plays very attacking football, you'll develop under him, he'll bring in other players like you, you know, I think that could be more attractive to not only Willock but to to other transfer targets they might have.
0: Mm. I feel like Newcastle are either going to be Steve Bruce in charge next season or Saudi Arabia take over Jose Mourinho in charge. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. those two scenarios basically. That's it. There's <laughs> no middle ground. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea strengthened their grip on fourth spot with a one 0 win away at West Ham on Saturday. Timo Werner scored the goal, but they also missed a sitter in the second half. He's got eleven goals in all competitions now. Um, Joel, do you think a bit of is, is, is a bit of inconsistent? Consistency to be expected from a, a 25-year-old in his debut season in a new league, or, or has he been a, a 50 million-pound flop so far for you?
1: I, I keep banking the jungle team over, to, to the extent where I've lost all credibility amongst friends in the WhatsApp group, you,
0: know, <laughs> you I, had I, credibility. I try... <laughs>
1: Fair points. Well, mate. Um, I tried to, you know, recommend a restaurant the other day to a friend back home, and he's like, "Were well, you back team over no chance to over And I'm to to that. Um, I, I think. Right now, I think it's fair if people consider him, you know, a flop if you want to use that word, and and it, you know he's had a bad season because he's, he's, you've all seen the show real way he's missed some incredible chances this year, and he doesn't seem to have quite fitted in with, with Chelsea as well as he you know they would have expected. There's still a talented footballer there. Um, he, there is still I know how wild this is. There's still a 25 goal season striker in there. He, he's done it at Leipzig. He still looks like he's got the talents. Um, He's just... I mean, he scores the winning goal on Saturday, so maybe this is the turning point for him, let's say, but hes he also misses a good chance against West Ham. I mean, you see the, the camera cut to Thomas Tuchel, and the, the face he puts on, it, it is in the face of, you know, I'm encouraged by this. It's a face of this guy is doing my head yeah. in like, I've <laughs> yeah. had enough of him. You know, it's, it's like that annoying mate on a night house just won't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Can he, someone just get him a taxi home now? <laughs> and I wonder whether if Tuckle, if, if it's a normal transfer window in the summer, which I don't think it will be, if, if Tuckle might just be rid of him and be done with him because you know, he's now had a couple of months under him and everyone expected, you know, Tucker comes in and and Vernon might be able to sort of take on, you know, a fellow countryman and take on his words and this is what's going to do him. And it's not quite happened. He's shown glimpses and like you say, there's been inconsistence. And I wonder if the manager's just like, i am done with him, he's hopeless. Let's, you know, let's send him out on loan or if he can regain some kind of 20, 30 million, let's do it. And I think that might be the case, you know.
0: Yeah, I feel like it might be a bit hasty if they do that, though. Really, I feel like i, mean, I will say so, but yeah, yeah, he could still really fulfill his potential. I mean, he's twenty-five. Like I said, it's, yeah. it's no, it's no age for a footballer. It's no, uh, you know, it's not surprising really that he hasn't been, he hasn't hit the ground running completely in his first season. I mean, he does look a bit like sort of Fernando Torres at Chelsea sometimes, but there are other That's times like, when he looks really he's, sharp. He's so. playing
1: against a lot of low block teams, and I remember, you know, in the Bundesliga, he's. Werner was great when he's on the counter attack. He's got space to run into, and okay, he's got to adapt. But he's not really played against this kind of you know, these kind of teams a lot. Not every week, anyway. And he's not quite figured that out just yet. And he has to become a bit more smarter. And. You know, right now, it hasn't happened, but yeah, you know, I, I'd have faith that it happened, but
0: I don't want to put my name mm. to his hat again. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Chelsea aren't the most entertaining team to watch, but they're bloody effective, Matt, and uh, very hard to score against. Do you, think, uh, do you think Tuchel should be looking to loosen the shackles a bit next season, or is it a case of, if,
2: if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Um, I agree with you, they're not very interesting to watch. Um, but I think maybe Tuchel's just making the most of what he's got at the moment. Like Joel said, it'll be a very interesting summer. If if Tuchel feels like he can get in the attacking players that he wants, if that's not Werner, if it's not Ziyech, if it's not Tammy Abraham, then maybe you, you could see him loosening the shackles and maybe switching to a slightly more attacking system. But to me, it just seems like he's making you know the best of the squad that certainly he feels he can at the moment. And you know, given the turnaround in league form and the Champions League semi final um, and the FA Cup final, you. I can't really say anything against what he's doing, to be honest, regardless of whether or not we personally find it entertaining. Um, But yeah, in an ideal situation, does he make other signings in the summer and go more attacking? I can see it happening for sure. Yeah, because I think, you know, entertaining football, whilst not a prerequisite to having success, like we're seeing with Tuchel at the moment, is something that is... Um, you know, quite an important demand from big clubs, you know, with big fan bases, with big expensive players.
0: Mm. It's a weird one, really, because they bought all those attacking players last summer for Frank Lampard. Obviously, it didn't work out with Lampard. Now Tuckle's got the same squad. He's got them playing a style of football where often I watch them and think they're not conceding today, no chance. And most of the time, yeah. they don't. And it's like, well, who do they now buy to then change that style of play? It's going to be, like you say, a very interesting summer. And, uh, Ah, I kind of wonder whether he might be risking it a little bit if he, if he starts uh, trying to play a bit, bit more attacking football and and they, lo- they lose a bit of that effectiveness they, they stop getting results in the same way that they have been recently but uh, we'll see what happens won't we uh, Fabian Balbueno was was shown a, a straight red card for West Ham for a challenge late in this game um, it was pretty similar to the incidents involving Liam Cooper and John Stones we've seen recently but I hope we think this was a yellow card never mind a red card would you agree with that Joel?
1: Yeah it was a strange one wasn't it I mean in slow motion, you can see his sort of you know his foot make impact with um you know with the lad's thigh and and then I guess it looks a bit dangerous but everyone doesn't slow motion everyone looks worse in slow motion it's it's clearly I mean it's, it's, it's clearly the, the bad when has just tried to clear it and he's just accidentally you know caught the lad on, on the way through and and it's oh, I I'd never even considered it to be a foul you know in actual real time and and it just feels as soon as you know. You know, the comments that it says all oh, is VH V R check. They're just trying to find a reason now to sort of, you know, or possibly trying to find a reason to, to make these kind of decisions to add a bit more drama to it. And the thing is Chris Kavanaugh, I racist is one of the best referees in the division at the start of the season. But in recent weeks he seems to be at the scene of the crime more and more. And um, we're, we're making a few more of these bizarre decisions. And I you know every week it happens, it's Kavanaugh's behind it and I'm showing him where VARs getting into his own, because that he was, as far as someone can be, a talented referee. Um, at the start of the year. And I wonder if VAR has just sort of ruined that for him as <laughs> has reduced him to tears.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, I was doing the match report on this game and as soon as I saw him going over to the screen, I started typing and Fabian Balbuena was sent off for a uh, straight red card because you <laughs> just not... know what's going to happen, don't <laughs> yeah. you? Yeah, every single time. Uh, I mean, it's, it's become a bit, bit of a cliche to say the standard of officiating is really poor, but it, it feels to me like there must be more to it than that. And, and David Moy said after this game that it was a decision made by somebody who has never played the game. Do you think there's anything in that, Matt? Do you think uh, ex-pros becoming referees is the only way to put that theory to the test and solve this problem once and for all?
2: <laughs> no, because if you're an ex-pro, you know how much shit referees are. Yeah, get. who's who's so going to volunteer to do that? Yeah. You definitely don't want to be a ref. I I, I think the only, the only way I would give what David Moyes is saying any sort of um, credit is that in real time, you have to... When you're a football player, even at any level, you understand certain movements. You understand if you were to watch it in real time, Balboa has gone to clear the ball, right? And he's caught the guy. You know what I mean? You'd understand that in real time. You'd understand the position on the field and what the striker's trying to do, the body position. There's loads of nuances that you pick up as a footballer because you're playing the game. Um, I, I just think VAR gets in the referee's head. So he's seen it live he's then got someone in his ear he's got reaction to the players but the rest of his officials he's then got a video then with the video he's got multiple angles and then he's got freeze frames as well like i'd panic as well if i had to give a decision because you know he's seen loads by the time the decision has come to um you know is is to see what's really going on um i just the thing that gets it for me is when everyone talks about it afterwards having seen so many replays and so many freeze frames. I just think that's not realistic. That's not realistic for you know the referee to have so many angles. So why you know are you sitting in the studio, you know the, the ex-pro saying oh this that and the other? I mean I just don't. I I went on Twitter afterwards and looked at the freeze frame and I thought, good God, he's gone through there. That's a definitely a red card. You know what I mean it's like me sort of. If I sent you a picture of me throwing an apple in the air, you wouldn't freeze frame it and be like, Well, that apple's magic. It can fly. (laughs) Like you'd understand that in that situation, gravity will take its effect and the apple will come back down. So like you don't I don't get why they're shown sort of the most minute freeze frames which don't tell a story. It's you know. It's very
0: stupid. Yeah, Balbuena got sent off for having feet, essentially, at the weekend. That was his his crime, yeah. (laughs) Any uh, any ex or current pros you think would make good referees, Joel, if we did go down that route? James Milner is the one that springs to mind for me. I think he'd be a cracking referee. That's a good
1: one, actually. Yeah. Um, It'd have to be someone fast, wouldn't it? He? It'd have to be someone really fast to keep up with the place. So I'm going to go with Alan St. Maximum. I think he'd be a great referee. Oh, yeah? Um, just because he's quick. Nothing else, nothing else to it. Yeah. He'd be a great referee. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you make
0: great decisions, but he's quick. Yeah. Well, I'd love to see it put to the test, yeah. Uh, Joel, do you think uh, West Ham have maybe peaked a bit too soon this season, or do you still fancy them to be in with a shout for the top four now? I mean, they've got Burnley, Everton, Brighton, West Brom, and Southampton in the last five games. So, I mean, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if they won all five, would it?
1: No ones. Um, there's been that wait for the drop off from West Ham all season, and it's not quite taken effect. Um, I still think there's are another chance um, of getting top four. I, I think the top four that is right now, you know, we're going to come on to that, but it's going to be very hard to dislodge Chelsea and Leicester now. But um, if anyone's going to do it, I think West Ham, you know, are going to be the team to do that. Um, you look at those five fixtures; they, they can't win all five. They've been very good at winning these types of games all season, and uh, you know, I'm not sure if they. The think his injuries have maybe started to take a bit of an effect because you know, they're missing Rice and they missed Antonio recently and um, they've managed to deal with that all season, but maybe that's finally starting to come to an effect. But I do think they'll be all right. And I, I think, you know, if West Ham finish fifth and get Europa League, it's still one of the best seasons they've ever had in the, <laughs> yeah, of the league. True, yeah, So it's a you know, fair play to them and I, I don't think there should be any criticism going Moyes' way if that happens. And, but I think they're right on the right chance.
0: Yeah, Totally. Uh well the weekend kicked off on Friday night with a strange game at the Emirates, which finished Everton one uh, Everton won Arsenal nil. Uh that's now seven Premier League defeats at home for Arsenal this season. Matt, are you starting to think that Mikel Arteta isn't a good coach who needs time and actually a bad coach who's
2: been given too much time? Um potentially. I I still think there's quite there's a good coach in there. I'm just not sure he's quite got the right sort of players under him, but also maybe the um um, the experience to back it up. You know what I mean? When you've when you, you when you've got a coach who's dealing very heavily in the tactical side of the game and you're trying to convince players that this stuff works, but you don't really have the evidence of it working because, you know, this is your first managerial job, I think it can be sometimes quite difficult for players to buy into, um, especially some of the more experienced players like Aubameyang, like Lacazette, um, like Xhaka, like David Luiz, the ones who are used to working under proven winners and the kind of guys who, whenever they say something in the dressing room, you're like, well, yeah, no, he doesn't need to explain that to me twice. I know that works because I've seen it working. So I, I wonder if he almost needs young up-and-coming players like himself where they can all sort of be on the same wavelength. Because, you know, it's very difficult. It's like, you know, the Tottenham situation. I mean, what can Ryan Mason possibly tell Son and Kane about, you know, his his tactical... Uh, Ideas when you know he's two managers into uh, two games into his career. Obviously, Arteta's got a bit more experience, but I am I start to wonder whether the the players are a bit sort of bigger than than he is at, at some stage.
0: Yeah, it's been a bit of a shame really because uh, you know I've read uh, read about his time at City when he was working with Guardiola and a lot of the players at City really credit him for their development and said he was a great mm. coach, great with the players. All the players loved him, and he's gone to Arsenal and. Uh, you know, totally understandable why he took that job. Uh, you know, he would have been a fool to turn that down. I think, but it's not not that the expectations were huge on him to deliver straight away, but mm. they were they expected more than you know being mid table, didn't they? And but, it, you you wonder whether he might have been better off going to a yeah a, a lesser club, maybe doing something like Javi Alonso is doing, coaching Real Sociedad B, sort of cutting yeah. his teeth there, where there is kind of no pressure on you whatsoever. I mean, even Guardiola started at Barcelona B, didn't he, before he got the the big mm. job. So. I wonder whether whether going to Arsenal sort of harmed his reputation in the long run more than it would have done if he just stayed at City. It, it's it's It was always a bit of a gamble, and it's, it's kind of backfired, hasn't it? It's sad.
2: It shows you there's a difference between a coach and a manager. Like, it's all great when everyone loves the coach because, you know, he's, he's a good mate of yours, and you might have a little joke about the manager. But when it comes to being the head coach, it's very different. Exactly, yeah. Uh,
0: well, it seems like his chances of survival at Arsenal hinge on the Europa League now. Uh, Joel, don't you think it would be uh, poetic if, if Villarreal knocked them out on Unai Merrick? Unite Emery got him sacked.
1: <laughs> um, I don't want to sort of indulge in Jaden though, but it would, it would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Um, it'd, it'd be completely, you know, Nazi and Brulia ironic. It'd be, it'd be incredible. It's oh, all essence come off. That's for, a lot of this for a set, it. mate. Oh, God. Come that. on. Natty and Brulia's talk. Yeah. Get it together, Joel.
2: So, First Werner, now this.
1: Journalists <laughs> <laughs> don't do their research, who you knew? Um, what can you say? No, F. It, it does all hinge on the Europa League world, and I think if he gets to the final and he might lose it to you know United or Roma, um, if they get through, that's absolutely fine. I think Arteta probably gets in there another bite of the cherry, but if they go out, I mean, uh, if someone gets to the semi-final in the Europa League, it's maybe a bit harsh to, to sack him. but I think if they end up finishing ninth, 10th, and you know, they've not got anywhere near getting the trophy on the board, not not finish runners up or anything. Then I think it's if say, saying you know, if Unai Emery ends it, then you no know, football, bloody football, eh?
0: Yeah, in a way, I do want to see Emery uh, knock him out because because uh, the 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 good evening and the post match press conference is going to hit a bit deeper than usual, isn't it? <laughs> people are not going to like that whatsoever. Um, Arteta vented his fury at VAR after the game, after Arsenal had a penalty decision overturned for a ridiculous offside call. But uh, was it a penalty in the first place for you, Matt? Bit of a soft form, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a penalty for me or a penalty according to the letter of the law. <sighs> Either. The two, yeah, they're, yeah, they're two very different uh, um, kind of answers. Yes, the letter of the law is a bit of context as a penalty, but no, if you're looking at it from a from a kind of soft point of view, then it's very soft because it just, I just can't really get on board with making the most of it in that kind of area. I just think there's so many merits to trying to keep the ball um, and keep the ball going, get yourself to a better position than just, I don't know. He
0: just looks like a bit of a prat, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Burn Leno also looked like a bit of a prat. Uh, it was his blunder that gifted Everton the uh, the, the the win in the end. Uh, that's their first win away at Arsenal since 1996, and they're still in touching distance of the top four. Um, can you see them making a late push for Europe, Joel? Are you, are you worried they might still finish above Liverpool, after all?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm 100% worried. Um, <laughs> I'm them to sleep for what can you do? Um, the, the thing is... You know, With Everton, they when the game handed, they, They'll go above Liverpool, and it's in their hands then to you know to finish above them. And you know if they can get a you know a trophy parade for all that, and um, they will do it. They will do it. Um, I've seen all those t-shirts. The DVDs were a thing. They would still making DVDs about this. Um, and my thing is with them is that they. These kind of results, you know, against the Arsenals, and, you know, they got a good result against Spurs, you know, one at Anfield, they, they've been very good at, at doing that when, when they're not expected to have the ball too much. And well, their
0: away record's incredible, isn't it? Their yeah. home record's oh, dreadful, yeah.
1: And and they shouldn't be done with fake praise. That, that is incredible, and of and deserves credit. But the downfall of the season, have been trying to beat teams at home, that they should be beaten. Um, Drew against Palace, he's lost against Newcastle, a at home, uh, Burnley at home. And you know, that keeps that seems to be the stick in the fore all the time. And you know, look at the last couple of games, you know, they play Sheffield United, which they should be if you don't know. Um, you know, Wolves and Villa at home as well, the, the other two home fixtures and they got City on the last day away. And I think thinking that's probably one that they, they could probably count on win. Yeah. <laughs> City might be on the beach and you know, they won the league, they would well won the league by then it'd be a trophy, um the Lifting the trophy in front of you know the fans that'll be there, and uh, but you know if, if still have something riding on that on that game, i, I back him to win it, and that that should be his sort of, job now is get to the last two games and have something riding on them, and. If they're in sixth position going into that last game, then I'd back them to finish in Europa League spots. Champions League, I think it might be a bit too far yeah, out
0: for them this I year. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sunday's game at Elland Road finished Leeds nil, Manchester United nil. Despite all the to soul shall say before the game, I can guarantee it's not going to be nil uh, <laughs> nil. Thanks for that, Ollie. <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite an entertaining nil nil though, and it certainly felt like one of the dirtiest games I've seen for a while. Would you agree with that, Matt? Were you were you entertained by this game? Because some people said it was awful. I thought it
2: was all right. No, I thought it was quite good. I was actually watching it with two United fans and the Leeds fan, and we we were we were really kind of enjoying it. And I thought I think that it became um, a, a bit dirtier because Leeds sort of felt confident. I, you know, it started very positively for United, but I think Leeds thought, you know, what we've we've earned the right to be here, to be in the Premier League. You know, to go toe to toe with United, we can throw our weight around a bit and try and you know, try and show them what we're about as a club. And I thought that showed a lot of confidence rather than, you know, sometimes you show a team a bit too much respect almost um, and, and you allow them to to walk all over you. But Leeds certainly didn't do it. Yeah, it was a bit dirty. But again, you know, the history between the two clubs as well kind of gives that little bit of edge to it anyway. And I thought Leeds responded really, really well to it. I mean, neither side got a goal. Um, a couple of good saves, certainly from Meslier as well. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was it was appropriately dirty. If that's yeah. a, <laughs> for a summary, it was
0: a game that it always felt like it was on a knife edge to me. And I, I don't mind a nil nil like that when it feels like mm. someone might score. If someone doesn't score in the end, then I don't have a problem with that. If it's one of those yeah. where it's just a boring sort of game of attrition where no one's really trying to score, then that's annoying. But this one, yeah, I quite liked it. Um, but that's now seven nil nil draws for United in the Premier League this season. Manchester United, I should say, uh, that's the most in the league. Uh, what does that tell you about them, Joel?
1: it tells you they're more defensively solid than maybe a lot of people give them credit for to be honest and you know, there'll be a positive and negative to this because um, let, let's focus on the positive because you know a lot of my United's criticisms I think have been about the centre-half partnership and the Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof are, you know maybe aren't going to win you a league but they're very good defensively and um, I think they maybe deserve more credit than they've been given and um, and, you know, there's a lot of talk that United need to buy someone next to Maguire and that'll be what gets into the next step. But you know, maybe that shows that maybe they don't need it. And then on the flip side of that, you know, a lot of criticism that United have had this year is their weakness is someone to put the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis and that they haven't got the striker to do that. And, you know, that's why they keep getting linked with, you know, Harry Kane and Holland Holland, and they're the guys they need to buy to, you know, to win them in the league and and maybe that does show that United probably should be winning more games 1-0 and 2-0. And they've got the other end sorted at the back that so they can go and win, win the games like that. But they're maybe just not clinical enough in, in the other penalty area.
0: Yeah. We've already said that we don't understand the handball rule anymore. Matt, any idea why Leeds didn't get a penalty for Luke Shaw's handball in the first half of this game?
2: I mean, yeah, that I was just about to say. Uh, it doesn't matter what I say because clearly I don't know the handball rule. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't quite get how referees could be so anal and so particular about whether or not it touches someone's hand, you know, in the Callum Wilson sense or in an attacking sense. But when it comes to a defensive sense, they can have their arm outside their body. It can hit them clearly and then they can just go, yeah, but but, but no. Was it because it flicked no, off not.
0: the Leeds defender just before him and I, therefore... I just... Because someone said, uh, oh, he was trying to get his arm out of the way and it was like, well, try harder. Like, it still hit his arm, didn't it? It's...
2: Yeah, that's what I think. I don't think he tried to get his arm out the way at uh. all. Um it was it was a pretty odd one. I would say I would say they would have been fortunate to get it, but I could understand why it would have been given completely. More so than the Callum Wilson one for sure.
0: Yeah, at this point they might as well instead of going over to the pitch side monitor to go over to a big wheel at the side and just spin <laughs> spin the wheel. Is it a penalty? No. Is it a red card? No. Like you know, cuz it just seems completely random, doesn't it? I've no idea what's going to what the outcome of
2: most decisions <laughs> it's are going to gotta be. There's got to be a fun name for that. I <laughs> think there's something for it. <laughs> Wheel
0: of misfortune maybe. It? Yeah. That's oh. what the Super League has been
1: lacking if they brought that into the plan. There, there you go. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um in 2021 Leeds have won at Leicester, won at Man City, drawn with Liverpool, Chelsea and now United. Um considering they struggled against the top teams at the start of the season, does that suggest to you Joel that they've they've sort of slowly grown into being a Premier League team this season? Yeah,
1: 100%, I think, you know. Bielsa and lead to the players you've learned on the job there. You know, at this, they're still attacking the way that they attack and I mean, they're still going all out to an extent but they have become a bit more measured with it in certain moments of the game and, you know, they're taking the chance to to spring those attacks on a bit more um, so, not I wouldn't say pragmatic. That suggests that they're being defensive. They I, I definitely are, but they, they've become a bit more professional about it and become a bit more methodical and, and something I notice. You know, Leeds probably early on in the season when it's nil nil. You know, seventy minutes. Go all out and throw an eleven and <laughs> the ten men forward. Let's say, um, in the in the dying stage to win that game early on in the year. But he brings uh, Robin Cock on for um, I think it's Tyler Roberts in, in, in at that point of the game on on Sunday and sort of suggests that he's you know happy to take the nil nil need to, You know they they you know they shook hands at nil nil there and that that suggests that they have learnt that you know from the let's say errors um. And they've sort of become a bit more clever about it, and I think Leeds have been a breath of fresh air this year. And and I think if they sort of learn on you know the mistakes they made earlier on the season next year, you could
0: see them being an easy comfortable top half team, if not pushing for that top six. Yeah, certainly hope so. Um, so Joel, if City win at Crystal Palace on uh, on Saturday and Liverpool win at Old Trafford on Sunday, City will be champions. Um, how would you feel about Liverpool sealing the title for City?
1: That's on God, mate. (laughs) We've got our own fish to fry. We've got to make sure we've got to finish with everything. That's our only hope this year. So that's why we've got to win on Sunday. But, um... (sighs) erm. Oh, that's sadistic, isn't it? it? It comes to the state major when you are you are celebrating Newcastle beating West Ham and that's where we've got this season. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long fall from Greece.
0: Well, you, yeah, you could deliver the title for us and then we could throw the game at Everton on the last game of the season and, and uh, knock you out of Europe. That would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? That's just sadistic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, got nothing to do with me. I don't make a <laughs> <laughs> uh, On Monday night, Leicester came from behind to beat Crystal Palace 2-1 and strengthened their grip on third place. The winning goal was a thunderbolt, uh, thunderbolt scored by Kelechi Iheanacho, meaning he's now scored 14 goals in his last 14 games. I think Ibrahim Mustafa summed it up nicely on Twitter when he said, Kelechi Iheanacho is the perfect example of why you can't overhype a youngster and equally why you can't write them off when they don't deliver straight away. Does that sound about right to you, Matt?
2: It does. And, and I'm so happy for Iheanacho to just... Honestly, nothing annoys me more than people throwing out the flop, the overrated, the underrated, (laughs) all this sort of nonsense terminology based off, you know, something so small. There's such a every single player's career is so nuanced with so many different things, you know, whether they come through a big team or a smaller team, they get a big move, small move, the fee, the players they've got ahead of them, the the squad, the coach, everything. That I think it really, really is impressive for Kelechi and Acho. And I thought at the time, what was the, the price from City? Was it 25 million? Right. You know, he scored a few goals from Man City here and there. He's not a 25 million pound player. But then you look at the the transfer market and the price you have to pay to, to pay to get someone from city. And I just think he's maybe had to work a bit harder behind the scenes and bide his time. And Jamie Vardy was of course a number one striker on fire, but now that he's come good, I'm absolutely delighted for him, you know, and I'm not an Acho super fan or a Leicester <laughs> fan. I'm just delighted for him in general to, to kind of, to show that there isn't necessarily a a strict pathway that that players have to follow to become good in some people's eyes.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny, when he came through at City, he came through at the same time as Marcus Rashford, and there was all this talk about which club had the better youngster. And then, you know, the past couple of years, you would have said, well, Rashford's kind of left him in the dust. But now you're thinking, well, maybe maybe Inacho is better than Rashford at the moment, actually. Maybe he has developed a bit better. So it's, uh, yeah... Your move, Marcus. I guess is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure City have the opportunity to buy him back for 50 million pounds if they want to. I mean, I never thought that would come to pass, but you know, now I'm wondering, Joel, whether they uh, they bow out of the the circus surrounding Harland and, and get Kaleci back instead. What do you reckon? Would that make sense?
1: No, we're considered that before today. Actually, and it's been throwing at me, and it's um it's an interesting one because he's clearly on not upward curve now, and, and he's benefiting from you know Brendan Rogers' sort of you know, teaching and coaching methods and. He's, he's a clever player. He's not just all oh, you know. I'm going to run him behind you and get onto a you know long ball. He's he who can score different types of goals. He's, he can score. He seen him score a few headers. He can. You know, he's perfect he at taking rebounds in and around the six yard box. And then, you know, last night he gets a you know a long ball out of nothing and turns into a chance and scores from this impossible angle. And that's something that. If Guardiola obviously appreciates intelligent footballers and that's an interesting one now, would, you know, if, 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 turn that question back on you, would, would you have him? Would you have him back?
0: I mean, it wouldn't be my first choice, but when you pull it, you know, 50 million pounds, it's sort of a fraction of what the other sort of top strikers around are going for. He's still a young man and he's hes not just a finisher. He's got a lot more to his game. You know, he drops quite deep sometimes, brings other players into play. So I think he would... Uh, I mean, we bought Gabriel Jesus to sort of uh, elbow Coletti out of the way, really. And now I'm thinking... Kalechi's probably better than him, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. we we'll I'd be su- I'd be very surprised if City went near him again to be honest. I think it's probably best for him if he stays at Leicester and just continues his upward trajectory there. But if it happened, I would I would support it as well. Uh, Palace look like they're they're just coasting through to the end of the season now. That's just six points from the last seven matches. Uh, they're not going to go down, but it looks like they're not going to finish in the top half either, which looks like a possibility at one point during the season. Um, do you think a sort of lower mid table finishes about right for them, Matt, or, or is it? underperformance, considering some of the players that Roy Hodgson has at his disposal?
2: Again, I find them very, very similar to Newcastle. I think where Palace have backed themselves with some fantastic players on the pitch, like Eber Echeize, is a fantastic signing, bedding into the Premier League nicely, and obviously Wilfred Zahar too. Roy Hodgson isn't the man to bring the best out of them. Roy Hodgson is the guy to take you to the heights of 14th. (laughs) And, and, you know, if you don't want to be anything more than that, but you don't want to get relegated by all means, stick with Bruce and Hodgson. But, you know, if you're going to put the money into bringing in some fantastic, exciting, attacking players like Zahar and Easy, you need a manager who's going to bring out the best in them and, you know, sort of really develop those guys as well. I mean, Zahar is, I would say, as a complete player as he's ever going to be, because what is he, 28 now? Um, 29 maybe. But, you know, is it for someone so young? You know, is Roy Hodgson the guy to develop? Is he into the next, you know, big thing? Certainly in Palace's eyes. I don't know. Is the same thing with Bruce and Willock? I don't think so. I think they need to be a bit more ambitious because, you know, they're getting a lot of money just by staying in the Premier League. Um but I think with the squad that they've got and the fact that defensively they're not so strong, anywhere between 11th and 17th is a very palace finish.
0: Yeah. Well, 10, uh, 10 wins, 8 draws, 14 defeats now, Joel, for the Roy Hodgson algorithm. I mean, that's he's lost too many games, I think, hasn't he? He's, if that is not a clear sign that Roy Hodgson's managerial career is over, then I don't know what is.
1: The only thing i had come from is going a slip from his fingers. Like <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, let's have your updated predictions on the top four come the end of the season then, lads. I'll go first this time. I'm going to I'm gonna be boring and say that it's exactly as the table is now. So Man City, Man United, Leicester and Chelsea. Joel, for you?
1: I'd I have to be boring as well. I think it's going to be exactly that, I'm afraid.
0: Matt, any, any late shout for West Ham? Um,
2: oh, I think you are going to say a late shout for Spurs. <laughs> five <and laughs> five for Ryan Mason. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's difficult to disagree um I just know that Chelsea have quite a tough run in, so maybe there's something for West Ham there. But certainly the top three as is, and then the last spot between between Chelsea West Ham. I think
0: I should have looked this up, but I think Leicester are pretty close to sort of sealing it mathematically, aren't they? Uh, They're seven four.
2: points inside at the moment with, yeah. uh, with with five to go. There we go. Uh,
0: shout out to Burnley, who's four 0 win away at Wolves on Sunday, saved us from having a very low scoring weekend. And shout out to Chris Ward, who got a first half hat trick here. Uh, are you a fan of his, Jola? Is he what we might call an old fashioned centre forward? I think on the premise of it, he is, but he's,
1: he's no slouch. I mean, I wouldn't have him as my referee next to Alan saint Maximum, but he's, um, <laughs> he's, he can move across the ground pretty well, and it was I think he is. Um, he's one of them that you, you can stick the ball up and barely play his kind of football. You stick the ball up and he can chest it down, bring those into play, and then they get moving up the field, and he's very good at that. But He's also you know, pretty decent in, in the area, you, know, you as you see by him getting his free goals at the weekend, and you know, he's he's one of them. He he, he can get you a ten to fifteen a season. He's never going to break the 20-25 barrier. I don't think he has in the Premier League at any stage. And you know maybe did it you know the Championship of Leicester. But um, you know he's, he's solid. It's good to see that kind of striker is you know, still out there because it's I think it's you know it's not very common now sadly. But um, it's good to see this still exists and Burnley like Woods are just a complete throwback to a.
0: And a career <laughs> yeah I was talking about Chris Woodward of my mate, uh, mate of mine over the weekend, and we were saying about like it's quite impressive when you think about a, a guy who's to come from New Zealand and sort of forge a career at the top level of, of football because it's it's a minority sport in his country I mean I read earlier that he w- he was playing um with in the same team as his sister for a lot of for a lot of his sort of youth career like so there was sort of you know mixed gender football was going on and um like, who do you have a kick around with, really? It's kind of difficult, isn't it? Like, everyone plays rugby there or, or cricket. It must be, like, hard to sort of develop as a player in, in a country like that. So, fair play to him. He just um, had
2: posters of Ryan Nelson across his wall. You must have done, it. yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I can't, I'm trying to think of other New Zealand footballers. Winston Reid. Winston <laughs> Reid, yeah. Reed, that was it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Burnley are almost certainly staying up, and uh, they might have a few quid to spend in the summer as well. Uh, do you think Sean Dyche with his chequebook could be a force to be reckoned with,
2: Matt? I do not understand Burnley's finances. <laughs> they, they've stayed in the Premier League for so long, right? And even if you're finishing anywhere from 17th upwards, aren't you getting 100 million per season in TV money? I think the lowest Something gets like that, about yeah. 90. So how on earth are they not spending big? We're talking they've Deich has earned them about 400, 500 million in the last five or six seasons. So I don't know why... You know, sometimes he talks about it in press conferences and says, well, "You know, shoestring budget, this, that, and the other." I'm thinking, what? I've played football manager. I know <laughs> how much money you get at the end of the season, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's their reluctancy to spend it. Maybe it's something to do with, you know, does it really fit in with the ethos of the club and the squad to have, you know, a, a you know, a Bertie Big Bollock signing coming in with, you know, worth sixty million on three hundred grand a week. That doesn't really feel very Burnley-esque to me. Um and, you know, I think maybe Daesh, he might not be a kind of big checkbook manager. He might be, you know, more of I need this sort of person to buy into the squad, to buy into what we're doing, more so than the actual technical ability. Um and yeah, that, that's maybe that's just sort of the way he is because I can't see I don't know if he went somewhere high if he got the Spurs job or something like that. I can't <laughs> see I can't see that really working out.
0: It'd be typical Deitch to sort of have money to spend but refuse to spend it on principle, wouldn't it? Really, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Not, not all exactly. that, not that fancy foreign nonsense. Let's just <laughs> <Yeah>. crack on. <laughs> uh, what about Wolves though, Joel? Pretty bad, aren't they? Are we in? Are we in Nuno must go territory yet?
1: I think it's a fair question that they're, they're dreadful to watch aren't they up in all season um, and this is the kind of result that usually does end up with a decision being made um, when Birmingham has scored four goals in the top flight um, I, it's a tricky one because you know he's they've not had any luck this year Wolves you know, you know, missing Jimenez for the time that he's been out and um, Neto's been out recently he's for the rest of the season you know Pedentz has been misplodged as well but the, the, the thing is and, and Nuno's especially, he sort of said in press conferences how much pandemic football is sort of playing on his head and he's just, just not got any time for it at all and I know that would be the same for a lot of managers a lot of players who've dealt with it better but it looks like it's completely exhumed him of any sort of energy that he's had um, and maybe um, so maybe I think he us to say at least another year and um, but the thing is, I think if you take that away, sort of looking at them as a football team on the pitch of season, they, they should be playing more, I wouldn't say expansive, but better football than they have been. Um, and Wolves have built themselves very well on, on being disciplined and, and winning games 1-0 and 2-1. They're very good at doing it and... And springing counter-attacks. but this year I can't tell what they're trying to do. I can't tell what the plan is, and I think they got a recruitment wrong. They, they you know, it's hard to replace Diego Jota and, and you know replace him well. But they also didn't replace Matt Doherty very well. And you are lucky he's not even gotten to the Spurs team, I and Wolves will probably haven't back it. You know, uh, you know, begging for him back in the summer, let's say. And I, I think I, I do think Nuno should get another season, but if, if they're sort of linking around you know fourteenth. In let's say October, November, there will be decisions to be made because they're not progressing like they should be. Because Wolves have finished seventh twice when they come up, you know they should be where sort of West Ham are now. Wolves should be where West Ham are <laughs> fighting for Champions League, and they're not. So if, you know, they have come back, and you know questions should be out.
0: Yeah, we've talked a lot about their injury problems and that, obviously that has really harmed them. But, uh, I mean, Matt, do you think they actually still have a good squad or is it just kind of Neto, Jimenez and then a load of average players? I mean, what's happened to like Ruben Neves this season? Like, he's one who was sort of t- touted for all the top six clubs not long ago and you don't really hear much talk
2: about him anymore, do you? Yeah, that's honestly the first time I think I've heard his name this year. I completely forgot. Yeah, what's happened with Adama Traore? You know, I think he grabbed his first goal of the season the other day in that, in that game against Fulham. Um I just do not know whether it's gone so wrong. Do they is that Jimenez's injury had more of an effect than we think? You know, are they all sort of looking around and thinking he was the guy for us and without him we're not as good? Um I don't know. I just think maybe that you're right in the recruitment, they failed to take the next step, and I think it, it can be quite difficult, certainly for promoted teams, to maybe cling to a bit of What's the word I'm looking for you know when you you, you kind of the- not the sympathy you know when they, what's the word when they stick with all the good memories of Nuno and Sentimental There you go That's it That's the one Not (laughs) sympathy You know there's a bit of A bit of um, You know the sentimental feelings You know he's the one Who got us up And these are the players That got us here And rather than a bit more Of a cutthroat You know what Thank you very much For getting us here But you're not good enough Because we want to take The next step You're not the guy To push us to Champions League Um I worry if that sentimentality setting in could be to their to their downfall in the, in the future. And if they do get a new no and make a big appointment, it shows they're serious about taking the next step.
0: Yeah, there is no room for sentiment in football, as they always say. No. Jose Mourinho to Wolves, there's one I could see happening as well. He's, he's good mates with, with Mendes, That's legitimate. Yeah. That is... I'm here for it. i here for it. Getting back in the game as soon as possible. doesn't matter where it is, yeah. Uh, West Brom considered a late equaliser at Villa Park on Sunday to draw 2-2 and seriously damage their faint survival hopes. Um, I kind of found myself willing West Brom on a bit here because I just, I just want a bit of end-of-season relegation battle drama, but uh, it looks like they've blown it now, doesn't it, Joel? Yeah,
1: that's exactly the same, to be honest. Um... Re- really well on the mob because uh, it's done, it really is done now. I mean, you know, they want, what 25 points now, and you know, it's a long way to go, and there's only what five games left. and I think they got they got Liverpool, well, Liverpool, I'd say Liverpool's a tough fixture, they've probably got a three point banker there. Uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, leads and Leeds in, you know, three of their last five games, and uh, they just I definitely got enough about them. They're also relying on Brighton to lose. You know, two more, three more games as well and I think there's, there's just too much to do and it's a shame because the last couple of weeks they've been actually really good to watch and they like, sort of um, let the shackles off and players like Pereira and Robinson have, have really flourished in it and you just thinking if he did that earlier, or he put up a bit more confidence earlier, they could have made it interesting. But it's done now,
0: isn't it? Yeah, this season has really made me think that maybe the Premier League would benefit from from knocking two teams off it and just being an eighteen team league. You know, you might imagine if you got rid of uh, Sheffield United and West Brom, or Sheffield United and Fulham from this season, it just sort of like the balance would be a bit more interesting. I think there'd be a bit more drama, and you would have a, a, a few fewer games to play each season. I know uh, Andrea Anelli is a big fan of this, and uh, his na- his name is. <laughs> more okay. in the football world at the moment, isn't it? But uh, So I don't want to align myself with him particularly, but you know, food for thought, let's just say that. <laughs> uh, Matt, do you think Sam Allardyce might stick around and have a crack at the championship with West Brom or do you reckon he's done after this?
2: Yeah, I reckon he's done. I actually think he's going to resign before the end of the season just so it doesn't go on his record. <laughs> nah, he won't do that, surely. <laughs> just so he says, well, no, it wasn't me who got them relegated.
0: Um, <laughs> I think he'll I... stay actually, you know. I think he'll stay really? and,
2: and stay in the championship, yeah. I... <sighs> I don't know what's the gain from him sort of taking that step down, especially as he seems to be sort of winding down his career, taking the odd the uh, team that needs saving. Um, I, think he, I think he just hates being at home though,
0: doesn't he? I think he hates not having a job. His yeah. career so far would suggest that he really loves I don't being know. a
2: football manager, whatever level Someone next is. season will have a poor run of form, set their manager and they'll need him. Someone like Aston Villa. Um, but... but <sighs> I'm not sure if he if he will stick around there's a lot of pressure now on these clubs to come up at the first attempt and when you don't you know things really do start to fall apart um I mean there's plenty of examples there um in the championship to be looked at so I don't know if he does or not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure. Fifty fifty. We'll see, won't we?
0: Yeah. Let's, let's call cool him up. <laughs> yeah. Get him on the blower. Um, there were a couple of penalties in this game that made uh, a pretty strong case for my twelve twelve yard box idea. I think. Uh, but I also saw an interesting suggestion from someone on Twitter where they said that penalties should only be awarded when a goal scoring opportunity has been denied. What do you think about that, Joel?
1: You're for the ideas, today, aren't you? The in the game. <laughs> Always, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm not quite sure. I mean. Uh, things like this seem but beyond the realms of sort of possibility, don't they? And um, I, I guess, in a way, if someone's getting fouled on the corner of the penalty area, 18 yards from goal, it does seem mad on paper that they get a free shot 12 yards from goal. But let's not mess too much. I mean, we've seen what happened in the last couple of weeks when you try and mess with football too much and where that could go to. Um, well, let's just keep things simple. I,
0: f- I feel like. Um trying to determine whether something was a goal-scoring opportunity or not could also be a bit of a minefield, you know? That's so, exactly just, what i Creating <laughs> yeah, more problems, so, yeah. aren't we? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, A bit like Crystal Palace, Villa look like they're already on the beach. That's, that's now just six points from their last 24. Uh, Matt, do you think they've been, been victims of their early season success? I mean, they're still, what, mid-table 10th, 11th, aren't they? So they've not been, a, they've not been terrible
2: all season, but it's petering out. That is astonishing. Six points from 24 games. How have I only just seen this stat? From the last 24 points available, sorry. Oh, guys. oh God. I was just about to say that <laughs> seems a bit ridiculous. Um, oh, six of the last 24 are still pretty pretty poor. Um obviously Grealish has been a miss, you know, since the middle of February, I think. Um, which hasn't been ideal. I don't know, I just think they really lacked that kind of consistency to push on when you look at what. Other teams are doing, when they have a dip in form, they still come good towards the end of the season. You know, likes of Chelsea, um, Liverpool, West Ham have been unusually consistent for West Ham. Um, But, you know, I just think they kind of really, really fell behind when it came to to getting through that middle part and the end part of the season. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're a bit too comfortable. Considering what they did last season, right? They stayed up by a point, didn't they? Considering that, it's still a good season despite the fact they've been in poor form if they're going to sit in mid-table it's technically an improvement <laughs> Yeah, true. Um, even even if they haven't always shown it on the field so yeah I think I think maybe they are very well aware that there are far worse teams than them who are threatened by relegation so they don't really need to worry too much
0: yeah it's next season that's going to be the difficult one for them I think because they've sort of you know last season like you said the uh, relega- surviving relegation was the aim now they've consolidated mid-table where do you go from there? Can, can they uh, make the step up? It'll be interesting to see. Um, on Saturday night, Sheffield United beat Brighton 1-0 at Bramall Lane. The Blades have officially been relegated since we last did a podcast. And I just want to play you this clip from our season preview episode when we made our prediction to who will be going down. I'm going to shock you now. I'm going to go Fulham relegated, West Brom relegated... Uh, Fulham bottom, West Brom second bottom, third bottom, Sheffield United.
2: Ooh.
0: Ooh. How about that for a hot take? You- so... Everybody laughed at me at the time, but no one's laughing now, are they, Joel? You're a wise man. Yeah, Nostradamus Um,
1: Nostradamus. There you go, I'll take that one
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I don't know where that take came from Um, I'm not usually very good at making predictions like that at all so yeah, uh, maybe I'll just retire from making predictions now and never do one again because that was a a stroke of genius we might say Um, I think I asked this a couple of months ago but I'll ask it again Um, Joel, are there any Sheffield United players you feel have earned the right to play in the Premier League next season or, or are they all championship fodder? I'd actually say
1: two of them that aren't even getting the game at the moment one not getting selected and one injured I think Sander Burge, I think's talented enough to play in the Premier League and has been linked with, with Liverpool and Spurs for example as well in recent weeks and I think I could, I could see him rocking up somewhere if not one of the top European leagues as well um, and I, I did like Jack O'Connell last season I think um, I think he was a really good defender and I think one of the reasons why they're in the struggle that they're in is because he's been missing all season Um with a bad injury and obviously don't know how he's gonna come back, but I think he's talented enough to play in the Premier League. But but other than that, no. And I think that's why Chris Wilder did so well last season in, in doing, you know, getting to where he finished, because the they are all championship level players, let's say, and they were punching above their weight massively and, and sadly it's reverted to the mean for them this year.
0: Indeed, uh, well, it was another day where Brighton underperformed there. Next year, I think they could do with re- reverting to the mean at some point, couldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you make of this talk, Matt? That Tottenham are, are potentially looking at Graham Potter as a candidate for their next manager. Do you think he's ready?
2: Nah, that's not going to happen. That's such a that's such a, a, a Tottenham thing. You know, a very sort of nice and trying their best and playing <laughs> pretty football without be, being a real mean, sort of ruthless winner. Um, you know, there's loads of them in the game. It's talking about him or Eddie Howe or Hasenhuttle. and you know, Pochettino was pretty much the same guy when he came from Southampton. It's all it's all a bit too nice and a bit too Spursy for me. Um, they need someone with with uh, I, I would say a bigger reputation because you know you're trying to like like with the Jose Mourinho appointment. Spurs have got got to convince Kane, Son, and a few others that they mean business and they have got to convince them with this next appointment that the new manager coming in is the guy for them. Because if Kane and Son don't believe it, they're going to be off. And I don't think when Graham Potter walks in on his first day, Kane goes, oh yeah, look at this guy, he means business. And and no disrespect to him because I think he's doing a a brilliant um, job at Brighton, but... (laughs) He's just not quite at that level that um, I think Spurs should be aiming for. I know what you mean.
0: What about Gary Southgate then? Because obviously he's got a good uh, reputation with Kane, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, again, as a club manager, he's absolutely a pony. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Gary. Go on, go on. Very quickly,
0: who would be your choice if
2: you could have anyone? Uh, Within now, reason, obviously. Now that Nagelsmann is gone, my choice would be Ten Hag. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Come fair enough. Next. Good shout. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast. I've been Dan Burke, and thanks to Matt Frolik and Joel Sanderson-Murray for joining me. Angelina Kelly will be coming your way with more women's football chat tomorrow, and then Joanna Bueno will be here to talk about the Champions League semi-finals on Thursday. If you want to get in touch with any of our shows, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com, or you can tweet us at onefootball. Bye for now.